I don't think it's absolutely desperately needed, unless you really know your vocation and what you want to do, that you have to nail down your career at 21, 22. I think it's good to go find yourself a bit, not necessarily travel, but do, do a few jobs. They might not be very good jobs, but, you know, just get into the world of work and a bit of experience. Welcome to Graduate Compass, the podcast for graduates who haven't quite figured out what their next step is going to be. So my name's Lisa and um, I'm currently uh, working at Airedale General Hospital, which is up uh, not far from Bradford. It's in the Bradford district. Um, I studied uh, business studies and I was late to the party with um, my degree. So I did my degree when I was 29, 30. So I graduated in 1999 um, and I got a 2-1 in business studies. Um, I have to ask, because when, when people hear business degrees, they often don't think about uh, working in kind of hospitals and healthcare. What What's your actual day job now? Well, as a service manager. So what that means is I look after certain uh, specialties for the medicine di division. So there is an element of business to my role, but um, predominantly it's operations, which a lot of business people find themselves uh, migrating into. So I look after specialties like cardiology, respiratory, palliative care. I also look after our catheter lab, which is where all the diagnostic tests are done for cardiology. I also look after haematology and oncology, and I also look after the diagnostic arm, which is cardiorespiratory, and that's where you do ECGs and stress echoes. So we, we'll, we'll come back and we'll, we'll focus on your, your job in a minute. So maybe maybe let's just kind of start to um, to what you mentioned a moment ago, because you said you were a bit late to the, to the party in terms of going back and doing a degree in your kind of late 20s. What was the motivation to go back and, and, and do a degree later than maybe people traditionally would? I always wanted to prove to myself that I could do a degree. When I grew up, I'm in the early 50s, and when I grew up, degrees were just starting to get popular. People were going on to do A-levels and do degrees. But my schooling, my secondary schooling, wasn't a happy one. And I was really badly bullied at school when I was 13. And that really knocked me backwards for going on to do further education. And I didn't do very well at school. So I always thought that I'd love to do a degree to, to prove to me and the world that I could, I was clever. <laughs> and that's really why I, you know, I, I pursued it when I could, when the opportunity arose. And when you went to do business then, what, you know, were you aware at the time that a degree in a business could lead to you having kind of a degree in the kind of health um, industry or what was your kind of frame of reference as we're going forward? Yeah so my motivation to do um, business studies um, came from my parents really because I grew up with parents that were self-employed that had businesses over all my growing up you know my, from my birth right through to 2021 when they sold their shops that's what they did 
So I grew up behind the counter. I grew up with the general public and serving the general public. So I always had an entrepreneurial business part of me, I think. So business was always something that I wanted to do. Um, and I think at 21, it was a bit of a turning point for me. It's quite um, a vulnerable age in your early 20s. And, you know, you come out usually with a degree if you do it the normal way, the normal route of A-levels and then a degree. And I think a lot of people don't, don't know what they want to do. And and you're still young in your early 20s. You know, it's a hard time to be choosing what career you're going to go into. So I had a breakdown and out of that, I started my own business. Um, and what happened, I don't know whether you want me to talk about my schooling, Kieran, and what I did from school to lead up to my degree. Well, sorry, I'm, I'm, I was letting you talk because they, there was, there was some, some, some fantastic bits that you were chatting about and I didn't want to interrupt you. The line broke up a bit in the middle of it and I, I, I don't know if I heard you properly. Did you say you had a breakdown? Yes, I had um, um, sort of a stress mental breakdown when I was 20, 21. I'm so sorry um, that. that. Yeah, yeah, that uh, knocked me for six really. And I think being bullied at school and all sorts of things and, and just pressures, you know, of growing up, Um it just all culminated in me in me having this breakdown. But what came out of that was um, a business, really. And I think I've always wanted, I always wanted my own business because of my mum and dad. Um, well, let's go back to school. And then you can see how I led up to starting my business in dental nursing, if you like. I left school. I didn't have many qualifications. They were quite poor ones. And I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I, I used to know, know I loved making cakes and baking. So I went to the careers advisor at school and said, what do you think I should do? I'd like to do a course. I want to do further education, but I haven't got any A-levels. So we went through a lot of things together. I remember him, he was called Mr. Body, was this careers advisor. And he told me that um, what I scored on this um, template and this questionnaire for careers was that I could either be a chef or be a baker. So I looked at all the courses that did um, baking because that's what I decided to do. And there was one going, I lived in Harrogate at the time, and there was one going in Leeds at um, Thomas Danby's. And it was a two year city and guild certificate in baking technology the first year i nearly flunked it um and made a right hash of it but i think that was again it was just immaturity and growing up i used to go across on the bus every day and back again and i, I did like the course i loved making cakes and what have you we did a bit of work experience at betty's and at ainsley's that used to exist but that's gone now and then after I'd done the first year, I thought, no, I've got to really put me back into this. And I ended up winning the best student of the year for the second year. And I came out with a distinction in baking technology. And I went on to get a job working at Asda in Harrogate in their baking department. And I, I absolutely hated it. I ended up moving on to um, a different department in Asda. And that was really, unfortunately, the end of my career in baking. And I've never, ever other than doing a few cakes for friends, ever done anything about that. And that and that was a chapter in my life that I left behind really in the early 80s. Anyway, at that time, I, you know, I, I, um, we'd moved, mum and dad had moved over to Leeds. Um, always liked amateur dramatics and I met my hubby James. And I decided that I would go do a, um, a certificate. I think it was a, no, it was a diploma 
in business and marketing. I think it was a HND. And I went and did this for two years part time while I ran my business. So obviously I had my breakdown, I got married and then I started the, this business. And how I started the business after I'd left Asda, I wanted to um, have a career, really. And I'd always been interested in health. And I think if, if you were to ask me if I could have my time again, what would I do? I probably would have done something something health related, either a physio, a doctor, maybe, or something like that. And I'd always had this interest in health. And so I saw a, a, a job that was um, advertised for a dental nurse while I was working at ASDA. And my mum and dad had moved over to Leeds. Anyway, I applied for it and I got it and I did the exams. I did the exams actually in a year and they actually take two years. So I was quite pleased with myself. And I really, really loved being a dental nurse. But again, there was something missing. I wanted to do something. And that's when I had my, my breakdown. And then out of the, uh, the breakdown, what happened was, um, I think I just thought, right, I'm going to fight back now. I'm going to do something. And I started a dental agency. And I ran it for about six years whilst I was getting married and, and um, doing my HND. Um, and I absolutely loved it. It, it was brilliant and it was um it was a permanent and a temporary agency so I would cover dental nurses um in Harrogate Leeds and York and Bradford that's the area I covered and I would fill in for sickness for and it was quite ahead of its time actually there weren't many people doing this and I did a cash flow forecast and I got a business loan I did all the things that you do and I, and I loved it for six years and I, I built my client base up I ended up employing 12 staff in the end and at the time I had a turnover of about 60 or 70 thousand pounds a year which at that time sort of early 90s was pretty good going am I all right Kian I'm not wittering away here no no I know you're you're good I'm, I'm I'm fully engaged and I know you can't see me right now so I'm please know yeah, I'm fully engaged and listening and it's a really interesting yeah. story so um, we were living in um, in Oldley in Leeds at the time, and um, my mum became my secretary, and she would uh, answer the phone, and I ran it from home. Uh, as I say, I had 12 staff that all worked for me on a self-employed basis, um, some hygienists, some dental nurses, and it ran brilliantly for six years. But then after that, um, th this was about 96, I, um, I, I got pregnant with Sophie. So um, obviously, I had Sophie and then I thought well, what I'm going to do now I can't carry on with my business I, I want something more and that's when I went to university so I got on to the second year um, of the business studies course because I, I had my HND in business and marketing and I think because of my business background and I was very very interested in business and because I had my HND in it that was probably the easiest course for me to do whilst having Sophie um I had looked at dentistry and I had looked at physio and but they wanted A levels in chemistry and biology or a conversion course. And I just wanted a degree to do a degree at 29. So I think it, it wasn't the next best thing, but it was the most obvious thing for me to do. And it's it served me well. Um, but I, I didn't really want to start doing a chemistry A level to get into into either dentistry or a biology level to get into another health related degree so that's that's really how I ended up in business yeah 
because because it, it's interesting because it it's I know there was other kind of areas that you were interested in up to that point, but it does sound like that business was almost in your blood from you know from the, from the family beginnings to setting up your own business to do you know that that you had that kind of um, I suppose that love for it. Would would that be fair thing to say? Yeah, it was it was my upbringing. It was what I knew, um, and I I do like business. You know, I have no problems doing cash flows. I've no problem doing marketing. I enjoy it. You know, I love I love that entrepreneurial having having your own business and 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 looking at you know how you can develop and move it forward. Because because the other thing that's quite quite interesting with with this as well is that because when when we started this conversation and I said this to you I'd say the recording that I I genuinely had no idea what what story was. I did, I tried to go in as blind as possible as I can and then I tried to like mm-hmm. you know to be in the position of of the people listening. And what I found interesting with this um story is that this this um it sort of makes sense that you would make that move then to, to take your skills going into healthcare because to to go through the kind of health challenges I mean you talked about your childhood and being bullied and you talked about the you know the the breakdown um mm. and that combined with with the the um I suppose the business practice is you need to be a, one a very very resilient person um mm. and two it was it, it would explain the kind of desire to want to go and help people or to kind of contribute to a system that helps people so it just i don't really have a question with that i just wanted to kind of make that observation and if you have any kind of reactions to it mm. yes yeah and i i agree because in 2000 so what happened when i did my degree was i got into the second year and it was a sandwich course so the third year was a placement and i did my placement unlike a lot of kids this year where my youngest daughter's had to uh, forgo that because of our lovely COVID. But so I got um, a placement in my third year, which was around 97, 98, with uh, Leeds City Council. And I absolutely loved it. I really liked working for Leeds City Council. Public sector, nobody ever thought I would ever, all my friends, there's no way you'd work public sector. You're a private sector person. And all I've done all my life is work for public sector. Um, So yeah, I went to work for them. And then after my final year, I um, pursued a job with them and because I'd done my placement year it was a little bit easy I won't say it was easy because I had to go through interviews and everything but I went I went back to Lee City Council and back to the department that I'd done my placement with and I started working there but in 2004 that's 2001 in 2004 I saw a job advertised that brought everything about me together and it was dental practice management advisor for the then PCTs, primary care trusts, over in Bradford. Because I've always, I live in Leeds, I've never worked on my doorstep. Certainly not in health, it's not a good idea. But So I went to work for Bradford. And it was my business side, my dental side, and my entrepreneurial, you know, all the things that I was as a person in this world I loved it but it only lasted 12 months because Agenda for Change came (laughs) and changed everything and um, PCTs then merged into one and I moved then into general practice Um, and in 2005-06 I started looking after doctors and pharmacists and, um, and I stayed there until 2010 because they made an announcement then that PCTs would go and they would become clinical commissioning groups 
So I made the I made the move in 2010. And I can tell you what happened from 2010 now, if, if you want. Yeah, to. no, go for it. I'm, I'm, I'm all ears. I'm listening. Go for it. Yeah. So I left the PCT in September 2010. And um, because I was working with general practices and I, I enjoyed it, I, I liked dental as well. The, the money, I have to say money has always, it's not, it's not motivated me, but I think for me, being being honest, I think money shows you where you've got to in your career. And I think that might be wrong now um, because it's 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 not just about that. It's about the whole job. But I always looked at in public sector, you knew that you'd arrived in a role when you were a director and you were paid at that salary. Um, and I always strove for that. I always wanted to get to a strategic position where I felt I could make a difference. So Lisa, I, I know I said earlier on that I do try to go in as blind as possible as I can to these interviews and you know that is definitely the case but I do know that you moved from practice management to service management kind of over the last few years can you talk us through what that was like and how that kind of came about so from 2010 right through to earlier this year I worked in three or four different practices with one of them we moved premises we went to London we got funding from the government department of health and we we moved practices and that's a story all on its own. That was a practice in Bradford that looked after asylum seekers, refugees and the homeless. I did that for about three and a half years, which was brilliant. That was a really, really good experience. And then after that, I moved on to a practice in Keithley where we merged in the five years I was there. And we merged um, eight practices, um, 350 staff. Um, and that was quite and something like 90,000 patients. That was quite interesting and then earlier this year in may i moved to the hospital um wanting a different challenge obviously not expecting covid <laughs> to hit as it did but um we are where we are with that well, I was just, you've, you've touched on us a little bit about you know kind of managing staff and and kind of running it from a business point of view i was just wondering if you could maybe talk us through the what a, an average day might look like going into your role yeah, in practice care, that's where we, we manage the staff more than I do now. I'm more sort of managing services now. So in practice where I manage staff, um, an average day as a practice manager, do you want me to talk about that? Yeah, yeah, go for it. I'm, I'm, I'll be completely honest with you. This is a fairly new one to me. So I'm, I'm all ears and I'm, I'm interested to learn anything about it if I can. For an average size practice of about ten or 12,000 patients, there's usually about five or six GP partners and they're all self-employed and the difference is it is NHS they're funded through the NHS but they still can do private work and they run it as a separate business whereas the hospital nobody's self-employed they're all salaried that's the difference so a practice manager or a business manager will come in and run the practice for the partners so you are the conduit you are the person in between that does everything between the staff and the partners and external organisations. And practice management now, um, I miss it. I miss doing it and I miss the people because uh, I love um, people management. I love people. Uh, it's a very, very um, HR focused role as a PM because you are managing probably 40, 50 different people. You'd have a nurse manager. You might have an ops manager and a reception manager but you're still responsible for the whole practice. 
and you know you could have 20 staff in the front front you know the reception team um, some salaried doctors so there are salaried other than they are self-employed partners and you might have um, an estates and an IT person and a finance person probably all part-time but you need all that to be able to run it because it's so complicated and bureaucratic um, but it's full on. As soon as you walk through the door, it can be toilets blocked right through to claiming 100 grand for a new service that we've just set up. So it's very, very varied. And you do get pulled into lots of different things. And my fault, it was people in HR. So I tended to do a lot of that. Um, but an average day is, you could be, you know, as I say, unblocking the loo, um, making some claims, talking to a partner, sorting a complaint out, meeting the general public, chatting to a receptionist about something. You know, it, it can be anything and everything in a practice, um, but very interesting. And then how does that, this was vary and compare to doing the service management? So the service management, um, whilst you're managing people, it's not directly HR focused. So I'm managing personalities now. I'm managing people running a service. So take um, respiratory, for instance. I have five consultants that work as respiratory consultants in on the wall. I'm ensuring that we are staffed, the clinics are run, the patients are coming in, the patients are looked after, and things are ticking along. So it's more about the physical things rather than the HR grievances and disciplinaries that you deal with from a staffing point of view, if you see what I mean. So it's more the service operation than the people. And please correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong at any point. I'm just trying to get my head around the two. So it sounds like the when you're in the practice, you're almost like a mini trust. That whereas when you're in the service, you're part of that wider organisation. So you've got more of that day to day logistics. Would that be a fair I, comment? Yeah, it, I've been there eight months and I said to a colleague the other day, I see each of my specialties as, as like a mini practice almost. It's own little uh, micro environment where it's existing to do, to deliver a particular service. The only bit that's missing is I have a finance department and a HR department that will input into it, whereas in practice I did all that myself. And what would, would someone who might be listening to us now might be you know, new to, I suppose, this side of healthcare, they might, you know, be interested in business or might have project management or whatever, whatever reason they've clicked on. What kind of advice mm. would you give them to kind of, if you if they wanted to learn a bit more about how this works or what they could do to maybe, you know, exactly. apply for those kind of jobs, things like that? Well, um, I think for practice, if I'm going to do the two, Primary care is your practice, secondary care is your hospitals, and then you've got community community care, which is that out in the community, like your district nurses and things. Primary care, practice management, it's very difficult to, at the moment, to break into that environment without a, a solid finance or HR background, because you have got a lot of things that you need to, to deal with. So it's it's... It's not something that somebody quite young could do straight off. I think you need a bit bit of experience to be able to stand your ground in that environment. Whereas in secondary care, the NHS graduate scheme, we get a lot of people come through that that are very young, very, very bright, very focused, and they can hit the ground running in a big trust because you have a lot of support and a lot of people around you that you can pull on. 
Whereas in practice, you're a lone ranger, really, and you, ha and you have to stand your ground. So, you know, practice management isn't for everybody. Um, but if you're wanting to do operations, if you're wanting the both operational jobs, but if you're wanting to start somewhere, I think a hospital environment in the NHS is a good place to start. One, I mean, your, your story is fascinating. It's, um, and I and, know and you can't see me because we've got our cameras off because of internet issues, <laughs> but I genuinely am at the, the edge of my seat. And it's a, such a, I suppose, a very straightforward story in terms of like, you know, you, it just makes very logical sense is what I'm trying to say in a in a, um, in a roundabout way. And there's a couple of things I just wanted to pick up on because um, I didn't want to interrupt you while you were talking as you're going through them. First of all, I'm fascinated to know why you, you said um, that it's never a good idea to work close to um, where you're living when it comes to healthcare. I was just wondering if you could expand on that. I, um, I think when you're in practice, especially, um, and people know you're the practice manager of the practice, you just get stopped everywhere. Things they want you to sort your co the complaint out or could you get me prescription sorted? And I think the thing is, it's, it's being known in your community. Certain jobs don't lend themselves. And I've, that's why I've always said it's best not to, not to work on your doorstep. And in health, you know, everybody knows everybody else. And it's quite a personal thing is your health. So I think what we found when we merged all the practices in my previous role to this one was that everybody was registered with their doctor's surgery and we merged them all. And the problem was then everybody knew everybody else's business and that's, that's it's not good, isn't that? So that's that's really key and why I, I don't work on my doorstep. I want to be private and I want to keep myself to myself. It makes, it makes total sense when you put it like that. I was just I was curious. And the, the other mm. thing I, I picked up on, which I thought was an interesting observation, you know, you were kind of saying that you weren't necessarily motivated by money, but you found it as a good indicator. And I just, uh, I suppose that again makes a lot of sense to me, because if you're, if you're coming from a, the private sector, which, you know, I know you spent a lot of time in, pub, in the public sector, but you kind of had those early years in the private sector with your own business and things like that. The, the obvious indicator of you doing well is is the fact that you you would turn a profit. So it would make sense mm -hmm. that you would take that as so that mindset into your career. Um, I don't know if there's anything you wanted mm -hmm. to say on that, but it just it made complete again made complete sense to me. Yes, no. When you put it like that, I've never thought of it like that actually, Key. And I've always thought, oh, don't don't always think of the money, Lisa. It's not about the money, you know. But I always have. I've always looked at, you know, you're doing well for yourself when you are you know you're earning more money and the more money you can earn the, the the obviously better that you're doing um but i do know that isn't 100 percent true you know and it depends on the person it depends on the role and the opportunities that you're given in that role um and i've done a lot of work obviously because of what happened to me when i was younger i've done a lot of work around counseling therapy i i'm a qualified a couple of years ago as a hypnotherapist and a psychotherapist I've done neuro-linguistic programming training. I've done all sorts of things that not are not business related, the people related. And that has helped me enormously in my own self-development and also helping other people to be the best person they can be to develop them in their role. Because that's what being a good manager is all about, isn't it? Well, it is to me. You know, you want the best for the person that's working for you. Um so, yes, yeah, so I've done lots of other bits and pieces on top of my business. Which, which I think is, is I kind of suspected when, when we started ha having this conversation, you were talking about your, you know, 
your job now that it would come down to the fact of that kind of love of people and you've said it said it several times during this uh, chat that you know you love people and you want the best for people and it, it again I suppose it's just like there's no huge uh, huge question with this but just an observation that it, it kind of makes sense that you have kind of have that love of people that you would end up in a situation where you're managing people helping other people yeah absolutely and um, lots of people say to me I, I mean I did the hypnotherapy as a business on you know privately for a while um but I, I'm, a, I'm a little bit um altruistic in that you know working for the practice I worked to and and spending three or four years with the homeless and you know asylum seekers a disadvantaged and vulnerable of society you sort of think you want to give to them without them having to pay for anything and if it was my business yes I would charge but obviously I'm working I've got a, I've got a job so I, I I sort of look at it as um something I can do for people on the side if you like for nothing it, it gives you a glow and is that 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 side of the you know you mentioned earlier on that if, if you had I suppose realized earlier you might have become a, a doctor or something is that that side of you that just wants to, to help and 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 that's the avenue that you can do that I suppose yes yeah I think other than business a bit that runs through um you know I looked at doing nursing project 2000 at the time I looked at all sorts of different things when I was considering my degree like dentistry again it's working with people it's helping people um whilst having a career that is worthwhile you feel that you have a purpose and that it's a worthwhile job and to me it being worthwhile is earning the salary but also making a difference to people take them out of pain or helping them and those are the, the two things that run through me I think. Lisa we're coming to the end of our chat and I'm just I'm, I mean it's been fascinating so thank you so much for, for your time to to do this interview um, I am curious given all you've been through which is you know you've, you've fit an awful lot into your career so far bearing in mind the people who listen to this podcast who might be at the stage where they're trying to figure out what they're going to do what would be your kind of, I suppose, your top two or three advice points for them, regardless of what industry they're trying to get into? I always think, and I say it to the, my, my kids, actually, I always think it's always worthwhile going back to working at Asda and being in the bakery to try, even for nothing, to try and go and experience jobs first. Go do it and, and see and feel it and, and and, and see what you think to the actual role before you sign up. Because once you apply, you go for the interview and lots of people, you know, they go through assessment centres and, and then they get in the job. It's like when you recruit someone, go try it first. I always, I always bring people in when I'm recruiting and say, do you want to come and try it for a day and see whether we like you and you like us? Go try it. So any any sort of job that you're thinking about, see if you can go try it first. That will be my first thing. Um, I, you know, I know you're in careers, Kian, and I've done a lot of sort of, ten, you know, these questionnaires where they get you to write all the things. It used to come out as paramedic for me, interestingly. So <laughs> when I've done them myself, it came out as paramedic. So something I was ticking was leading me down that path. Um. I do think it's helpful to talk to such as a, a career advisor, though, that's got some experience in different areas and roles. And I think go with your, go with your, your, your passion. And if you haven't got, there will be something, even at 2021, 20, I probably didn't realise it. 
And I think it's okay to drift a bit in your 20s. I don't think it's absolutely desperately needed, unless you really know your vocation and what you want to do, that you have to nail down your career at 21, 22. I think it's good to go find yourself a bit, not necessarily travel, but do, do a few jobs. They might not be very good jobs, but, you know, just get into the world of work and a bit of experience. I think I'd just like to add about going with change and acceptance of change. It's been a really difficult year and people have probably fought against everything that's been imposed on us. And this happens in companies and careers. And I think you've just got to try and accept the situation and go with it for the, for the time being. And that goes with your job sometimes. And if you're ever in a situation that you're not happy with, get out of it. Massive thank you to Lisa for appearing on today's show. And Lisa has very kindly offered to answer any questions any of our listeners might have about her career or any of the jobs that she has talked about in today's show. If you have any questions, you can just email info at graduatecompass.ie and uh, the show will act as a bit of a intermediate between uh, yourself and Lisa and uh, see if we can get some of those questions answered but very much appreciated for that offer from uh, Lisa. Uh, as always, thank you so much for listening. If you want to help the show, you can share, subscribe, uh, follow on Facebook, Twitter, or TikTok at Graduate Compass. Um, the goal, as always, with this project and with this podcast is to kind of spread as much careers education as possible in various different industries. So I'm trying to get the show to grow as much as is humanly possible, just to educate people and teach them about different careers and different uh sectors and i have to admit i i learned a bit today myself so you know it's it's a it's a a positive experience for all i hope anyway thank you so much for listening i'm keanu sullivan we'll speak to you soon thank you for listening to this episode of graduate compass remember if there is a degree subject or specific industry you would like to be featured on any future episodes then we would love to hear from you and know what you are trying to find out Our email is info at graduatecompass.ie.